Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, and anteaters everywhere suffering from nasal congestion. It's Thursday at three o'clock, and you know what that means? Live from the Michigan State University campus and live from Chowchilla, California, it's Tea with BBP. I'm your host, Bill Van Patten, AKA BBP, international superstar and diva, your own personal diva of SLA. And speaking of nasal congestion, here are my two co-hosts who were once volunteers for the original clinical trials of Sudafed, Angelica Kramer and Walter Hopkins. Go ahead and say hi, Angelica. Hello, oh. I'm nasally congested today. Wow, that's see like I did that too. Oh my gosh, give me one of the shows, kids. <laughs> I tell you. Sorry, audience, we got started a little late again today. There's some people who were in the studio before us, and they did a number on some of the equipment, and Daniel had to fix the last minute. And so, uh, but it took a little longer to fix than we thought. So sorry about that. Hopefully next week we'll, that won't happen again. Um, well, here we are. I cannot believe this is the end of September. Can you guys believe that? I know, it's, it's crazy. crazy. It's hard it's to the, believe. I know. I tell you, time really flies. So Angelica, I got a Walter challenge. You think he can do this? Oh, oh yes. No. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, what here is we go. It? This is, this, okay, it's a lyric to a song. And I want to see if Walter can complete the lyric. Oh, no. Why did you ever pick on Angelica? Come on now. Because I think it's fun to pick on you, right, Angelica? Oh, yeah, it is. Oh, I totally approve. This is easy. This is so easy. Here we go. Ready? Okay, Walter, I'm going to read. I'm going to say the first lyric, and then you have to complete it. Ready? Here we go. Um, Try to remember the kind of September. When grass was green and grain was yellow. Wow. <laughs> Are you googling? Fast you googling. No, 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 not at all, not at all. <laughs> Actually, of no. I, that, I have no idea. Well, there are that's, lots. There are lots. That's of the second. Lines. That's the second lyric. That's the second okay. lyric. The when actual lyric is slow and oh so life mellow. Life is slow and oh so mellow. Right there, you go. Now, now. Angelica, I'm going to do another quick Walter challenge and we'll get into the show. Name the, close your Google. Close your Google, Walter. Name the musical okay. that song is from. Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> oh, come on. It was the Fantastics. Okay, Don't you remember the Fantastics? Yeah, oh, of Fantastics. course, the Fantastics. I knew that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There Not you go. Really, but that's okay. Okay, now, now we've had our little pop culture entertainment for the day. Oh, gosh. Um... <laughs> Really thought you would know that, Walter. I really did. You got, you know, I don't know the audience knows this, but when Walter was a high school teacher, he used to like direct the musicals and and oversee the plays for the kids. Didn't you do that, Walter? Well, Matt used to do musicals. I only did, um, I did a play once. Yes, I directed. Oh, it. you made it sound like you did a bunch of them. I, you, I made. Well, I no, you're probably mistaking me for Matt because he used to do. He used to do a lot of them, but no, I I haven't myself. Oh well. Okay. Angelica, did you ever used to do plays or musicals when you were in school? Or? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah? Mm -hmm. What was your favorite play you did? Well, we had a, a music director who wrote his own um, about our town and things that were going on, so those were always pretty cool, and we did some standard German musicals. Um, I remember I was the wicked stepmother in Cinderella once. Ooh, wow. Wow. I wonder, I, I would, I'm trying to imagine um, Angelica and Faust. Is there a female role in Faust? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
or maybe cabaret. Maybe we, you oh, and I should God. do cabaret together sometime. I could be, I could be the MC. Um, and there we go. And then you could be Sally Bowles. I like we it. Be, welcome and bienvenue. Yeah. Welcome. Let's All right. Enough of that. All right. Should I announce the topic for the show today to remind Please. everybody what it is? This Let's was hear hot, it. This was a hot topic, man. We got so much Twitter feed on this. That the topic is, does instruction speed up? acquisition. And I'll, I'll explain a little bit later when we get actually get into the topic, why the question is phrased that way. But we did, we got a lot of, a uh, lot of Twitter uh, movement on that and not just at three in the morning while someone's sitting in the white house doing nothing. Um, okay. So, <laughs> sorry, I had to throw that in. Okay. Now remember during the show, everybody, that there is the SLA challenge question. Uh, in a few minutes, I will give that question on the air live. And the first person to call in with the correct answer wins a prize. So as we like to say, keep your cell phones close by. We do not want you running and tripping to get your cell phone. We don't want you to, to drop it somewhere on the way. Just keep it handy there wherever you're sitting. And then call in when you know the answer to the SLA challenge question and let Dustin know that's why you're calling. Uh, same for the Diva Challenge questions. Everybody knows. I'll read that question at some point, and you'll have time to pick up a uh, uh, punch in our number and let Dustin know you're answering the Diva Challenge question. So there are two chan chances to win a prize today. The number to reach us at is 517-884-4321. Again, that's 517-884-4321. And uh, Angelic, of course, will be looking at Mixler. We know that some of you like to chat on Mixly, you don't call in, but you should, you should. Um, and, uh, but you got to remember to call in because this is a talk show. We like to talk to people. Um, so Walter, tell them the number again. 517-884-4321. Correct. And Angelica, in addition to our two prizes, what else do we have? That the we're giving book away drawing. Today? The book drawing, of For course. So anyone as, who calls in. So, yes, anyone who calls in, whether it's for the SLA challenge question, the Diva challenge question, or just calling in the chat or to ask another question to us, your name will go in a hat uh, for a drawing of my book, While We're on the Topic, published by the American Council of Teaching of Foreign Languages. So call in. You'll get a chance to do that. I will autograph and send it out to you in the mail tomorrow. All right, then. So that is all of our opening stuff. Oh, my gosh. Um, so um, I was asked by to turn off my mail ding. I don't have a mail ding on. I don't know who's telling me I have a mail yes, ding on. Yes, on your phone. <laughs> my phone is actually off. Well, but we it can is. hear a ding. I texted you and it dinged. No, it's off. It must be somebody oh, else Oh, maybe on your laptop. No, my laptop is closed enough too. Hmm. No, okay. that, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Who knows? We got little dings running around. Yeah, we have little <laughs> goblins today. I don't know what's going on. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Um, well, before I get into <laughs> oh, the mail ding, I love it. Before we get before we get into the topic, I'm actually going to go ahead and give the uh, SLA challenge question up first, so that people have time to contemplate it and call in with their answers. How does that sound? Great. So, okay. So here's our SLA. Here's our SLA challenge question. Sorry, I had to move back from my mic a little bit. I had to reach over and get my piece of paper. Hang on. Is this an easy one, Bill? Uh, it's semi-easy. It's multiple choice this time, so that helps. Okay, so this is related, this is related to our topic. So um, the question is this. The issue of whether instruction makes a difference. Now, today we're going to be talking about whether instruction speeds up, but this is, this is related. 
So the issue of whether instruction makes a difference in language acquisition was examined empirically in 1983 by Mike Long, AKA Michael H. Long, by Mike Long in a foundational paper called, Does Second Language Instruction Make a Difference? The question is this, what was the object of comparison in that study? And there are two choices. Uh, in that study, was he comparing classroom versus non-classroom learners? Or was he comparing classroom learners that got instruction and classroom learners that did not get instruction? Instruction here refers to instruction on formal elements of language, i.e. grammar, okay? So uh, I'll read the question again. The issue of whether instruction makes a difference was examined empirically in 1983 by Mike Long in a foundational paper called does second language instruction make a difference? What was the object of comparison in that study? Was it A, classroom versus non-classroom learners? Or was it B, classroom learners that got instruction and classroom learners that did not get instruction? Call in when you know the answer and tell Dustin you're calling in for the SLA challenge question. So there, how do you like that question, kids? Walter, what do you think? That's a good question. I'm not sure I know the answer, but I think it's a good question. You better know the answer. Angelica, you know the answer to that question, don't you? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> of course she does. Of course she does. Of course she does. All we haven't right. memorized all these articles like you have, Bill. See, we may have read them at one point or another, but I'm not sure we have them all memorized. So, well, I don't have it memorized either, but, you know, well, I have been around a lot longer than all of you, too. So, you know. Combined, I, I think. I, really, it's true. It's probably, <laughs> well, maybe no, maybe no, not quite true, but I think combined y'all are a little bit older than me, but especially if you throw Daniel or Luca in at the same time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm trying to decide. Um, should I get in the topic? Yes. What should I do? I think that's a great idea. You think I should get in the topic? Yep. Angelica, you tell me. What should I do next? Should topic. I get in the topic? Topic. Okay. Topic. Topic. I'll get on the topic. And then we have a lot of people, like I said, who um, responded uh -huh. via Twitter to the question Luca posts. So let me get into the topic and then we'll go to the, the Twitter feed and see what people said. Okay, this topic um, uh, today, which is does instruction speed up acquisition, uh, it originates from a much more general question of whether or not instruction affects acquisition. That's the SLA challenge question, right? Uh, now we know, we know that teaching grammar does not alter ordered development. That's absolutely clear. I think we've said that in a show a number of times. Um, that should, that's very clear in the research. So teaching grammar, trying to force things into learner does not change what we call ordered development, morpheme orders or stages development, anything like that. So, so those kinds of things are uninfluenced by the teaching of grammar. So after that finding was pretty clear, some people, some scholars, some researchers, turn to the idea that the teaching of grammar perhaps speeds up acquisition. So maybe you can't alter the order of acquisition for morphemes, but you can make people go through the order faster. Or maybe you cannot alter stage development of getting negation in English or set in a stat in Spanish or something. Uh, but that instructions mouth speeds up those stages, go through those stages faster. Uh, and in fact, this idea of speeding up acquisition through, through teaching grammar and teaching or focusing on form uh, underlies most of what is called contemporary research on instructed SLA. Well, here's the issue, everybody. I just actually reviewed this 
matter, this literature and this topic for a new book on second language acquisition that I'm co-authoring with Megan Smith and Alessandro Benatti. And I was in charge of the chapter called Does Instruction Make a Difference? And I have to say, I cannot find any evidence that teaching grammar or focusing on form actually speeds up acquisition. Nor can I find any real evidence that teaching grammar or focusing on form affects how far people get in acquisition, which is a related question, because if you can go faster, you might be able to get farther along in acquisition, right? Now, let's, let's be clear here. There's lots and lots and lots of research on, uh, out there that shows instruction makes a difference in the short run. Okay, so there's, you know, maybe hundreds of studies. I don't know. I'll just say hundreds. Hundreds of studies that show instruction makes a difference in the short run. So if you give a pretest, you give some kind of instruction, and you give a post-test, on that post-test and immediate post-test, and, you know, within a month afterwards, you tend to see some effect for instruction. Learners performing, performing better on the post-test as opposed to the pretest. Now, there's problems with this research. I'm going to name, I think, four here about my list. The first problem is that there's a very strong bias to measure explicit knowledge in these tests. Um, that is, when you give a pretest, um, when you give a post-test, the tests tend not to tap acquisition. They tend to tap what Crash would call learning, or what we just would call more generally explicit knowledge, something that they got um, that's not part of their implicit system. Now, this issue has been reviewed uh, numerous times, and yet it's ignored by most scholars in the field. And we've been trying to call for different measures of, of implicit uh, learning or acquisition. Um, but they're very, very, very difficult to do. Uh, so until there's evidence that explicit knowledge affects the creation of abstract and complex system we call language, then there's a real problem with the research. Okay, And we don't have that. We don't have any evidence that explicit knowledge can affect your implicit knowledge. Okay, let me go to the second problem with the research. I gotta, you're gonna hear some pages ruffled because in my little home studio here, I don't have the, the layout that we do back in East Lansing. By the way, I'm gonna be in East Lansing next week. Isn't that fun? Yay! Unless my doctor tells me otherwise, I said, I gotta go, I have a doctor's appointment after this and I'm having, I've been having a little flare up with my diverticulosis. Okay, anyway, there we go. So a second problem is that in the handful of studies where researchers go back and see the effects of particular instruction months or a year later, and there are like five studies that do this. Okay, so most studies, just look at short-term, like in a week or two weeks or at most a month later. Um, but the five studies that go back and look like eight months later, nine months later, up to a year later, um, did the effects of instruction last? What we find is that the effects of instruction disappear. So after eight months, nine months, or one year, the students that were part of the study look just like they did before they ever had the instruction. So that kind of you know doesn't look too good for speeding up acquisition. Third, some studies show that instruction impedes acquisition, thus slowing it down or ultimately getting in the way. Um, there's not a lot of research on this. There's like three studies that I know of, but they're out there. Um, and it, it, that research never gets its share of airtime in any of the discussion of instructive second language acquisition. Finally, the fourth point I want to make is that instruction in, this, in, in such cases attempt to teach a product and not affect the process. In other words, instruction in these studies all have a rule in mind. So I'm gonna instruct Walter and Angelica, for example, on how to make the passive in English. 
Here's how we make the passive. Walter, here's the rule for making the passive. Then I make Walter practice it. Angelica, here's the rule for making the passive. And I make Angelica practice it. However, that's defined, that practice defined. The problem is we know that acquisition doesn't begin with product. It begins with process. That somehow learners have to get data from the environment and then convert it into something that's useful by the internal mechanisms that make language in the head. Um, so, so the problem in this instructed SLA research, that, as I see it, is there's a real disconnect between the focus of instruction and what actually happens during acquisition. So we need to focus on process and not product. Now, with all this said, there are many, many teachers and many scholars who continue to claim that instruction somehow speeds up acquisition. Well, here's my take. Um, it's not that instruction in grammar speeds up acquisition. I think it's literacy and elaborated input that speeds up acquisition or affects how far people get. In other words, when you're in a classroom situation as opposed to a non-classroom situation or, or, or whatever you're looking at, um, there's, there's a focus on literacy and there's a focus on reading. And the kind of input you get through written language is much more elaborated and much more complex than spoken language. So if all you're exposed to is spoken language, you may not get the full benefit or the full realm of things um, that you get. For example, this is why little kids learning a first language don't have passes until the age of eight or nine. It's because passes in English, for example, just are infrequent in spoken speech. And so it's in the reading and the schooling they get that they start to see passives, for example, and then passives start to creep in their, in their, in their language. Um, so that would be as true for second language acquisition as for first language acquisition. So I would suggest that it's the quality of the input that people get and not the instruction itself. And by the way, this was discussed in a very, very interesting paper by Maria Pavesi in 1987, published in Studies in Second Language Acquisition. So we'll put that up on our site for you, anybody who wants to look it up. So my point is, if anyone out there tells you or says to you that instruction speeds up acquisition, ask them to name three studies that clearly show this. Yes, they will cite some studies and show the short-term effects of instruction, but then ask them to show you how the short-term effect manifested itself in the long run. Uh, and I bet they won't be able to do it. Now, I know I'm going to get pushback from some people um, who are listening to this. They're going to they're gonna want to say, but Bill, it's very clear that instruction speeds of acquisition. And I'll maintain, no, it doesn't, um, because all of our research is biased toward explicit learning, not all of it, but most of it is biased toward explicit learning, and it's biased toward product, um, not process. And so I'm not going to change my conclusion after reading all this literature, uh, until someone can show me a research otherwise. Now, I will say this, by the way, um, there's only one study I know of where after nine months, the effects of instruction were still evident. You guys want to know what that study was? Yes. Very much. Van Patten and Fernandez published in 2004, which was a processing instruction study. Now, in that study, because uh, we focused on process, we don't focus on, there's no, we don't do rule learning and processing instruction. And so um, in that study, we showed that um, on the immediate post-test, the learners, of course, shot up. But then they did go down. They did go down nine months later, but, um, and it was significant. So the nine months later, the, the, the test scores, the way we, the way we look at processing um, was lower than it was in the immediate post-test, but it was still significantly better than before they ever got the processing instruction. So that's the only study I know that shows a kind of a long-term effect. It's not a perfect study, but it's out there. 
Um, again, I know I'm going to get some pushback on this because people really, really want to believe that instruction uh, makes difference and that it speeds something up. So with that, I'm going to stop. What do you think about that, Walter? Stop. In, In the, the name of love. love. So you know that, but you don't know the fantastics. I am for toots, I tell you. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a caller on the line already calling in. We've got Michelle on the line. Michelle, are you there? I am here. Hey, and Michelle, really you're calling. physically here, too. <laughs> yeah, I hear that you're in East Lansing, but you're from Alaska, right? I am. I flew in just to be able to participate in your program because I never can when school is in session. Look at I'm that. She, she flew all that way across the country. It's like a it's like a five hour plane ride in Minneapolis, and then another hour and twenty minutes to get to East Lansing. <laughs> you, why wow, you're that's tired. impressive, Michelle. Dedication. I know. So, Michelle, what are you call, what, what are you calling about? What's up? Well, I was listening to your discussion, and then I missed part of it because I was so enthralled by what's going on in your control room. But then I wanted to tell you about a study that I was actually probably one of the um, people being tested a long time ago in Russian studies. Um, there was a decade-long longitudinal study of the effects of grammar. Um, well, it's rather like previous grammar instruction. Um, before people went for a semester in Russia, they were given not only a grammar test, but an OPI, basically. And when they came home, they got tested on the same things. And what the study discovered was that those people who had better grammar when they left had much higher gains over the semester. So wherever they started, if their grammar was better, their gains would be more impressive relative to the amount of time that they were staying there. And I have thought about that a lot because I am a wholehearted believer in um, comprehensible instruction, and I have been thinking that probably it's just that those people had more input, but I wondered if you could comment on a very uh, tenuously described version of that study, which I can't. I kind of, I'm, I'm familiar with that. I'm familiar with that study. Thank you for reminding me of that study, oh, Michelle. And, and here's, here, here's oh. my issue, um, or my, my, my comment on my issue. My comment is this, that there's some intervening variables here. The fact that some people who had more grammar when they left could be related to individual differences that aren't about the instruction per se, but about their ability to, to pick up on things faster than other people, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so um, we, we know that there are individual differences. We just don't know what they are. We don't know how they work exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of debate out there about the role of aptitude and so on. So you could be seeing aptitudinal differences on that initial grammar stuff going on before they leave. Um, and then they made more gains, not because of the grammar that they knew, but because of some underlying individual difference that they have mm. for learning languages and processing languages. Um, and so okay. I'm not, you can't, you can't completely rule out. Now, again, let me just, let me just, for everybody out there listening, caveat, I'm not going to rule out completely that instruction makes no difference. I suspect it doesn't. Scientists, I got to say, there's room for that. All I'm saying is the evidence is so messy 
that we can't conclude that with any confidence. And so in this study you're talking about, I'm cautious about concluding that the instruction was different because I think some intervening variables were left unchecked in that study. One of them could be individual mm -hmm. differences. And, and we see this all the time. We see this all the time in study abroad stuff, but some people soar, some people don't. Um, and you know, some people plateau and some people keep going. And it, you know, I, I think it has to do with some kind of individual difference in, in language learning. And I don't know what that is, to be honest with you. So, yeah, I always suspected it was that it was the females who were kind of not allowed to go out at night and the guys who could go out drinking and staying out all night getting more and more yeah. input. I mean, it could be that kind of thing, too, because you can't control. How does that study control for these people interacting with speakers of Russian while they're abroad? Unless they had some measurement of how much they interacted and what they did and so on. And that could be related to the underlying individual difference, too. Maybe there's something there about seeking out speakers of a language so that you get more input and interaction in that language. So, again, a lot of variables in a study like that to go accounted for. So. Okay. Right. Um, Thank you. Michelle, I got to let you go. Thanks for calling in. It was great talking to you. <laughs> okay, thank you. Right. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye Michelle. Bye Michelle. That's uh those kind of those are that's interesting to have somebody who actually was a subject or, or hmm. participated in a study or knew about us. That is kind of cool. So all right. Um before we take another phone call, let me just go back to the Twitter. Remember I mentioned the Twitter press? I got like four or five pages that I printed out from the Twitter the Twitter stuff. Uh, I'm gonna summarize a couple of things here. One of the recurring questions that was asked by um, Ryan and Chris and um, Longinus and a bunch of other people is just what the heck does instruction mean? In the research, instruction is defined not as being in a classroom, but being explicitly taught about language in the classroom. So I, we're focusing on grammar instruction here, some kind of grammar instruction, however that's defined and however that's operationalized. And so, um, and I take issue, a lot of people think processing instructions about the teaching of grammar, it's not. Um, it's about the processing of data in the input. And what we do is I help people isolate data in the input. But it's, so it's a little bit different because we're not teaching rules the way most studies are focused on rules or something. I, anyway, um, and uh, a lot of people, for example, Profe Murray says, if instruction means an environment rich in, rich in comprehensible input, then instruction can promote acquisition as compared to not input rich alternatives. He's absolutely right. Um, and a number of other people pointed that out, but you know, we're not talking about instruction that way. We're talking about the actual focus on language. Um, and Ginny says, certainly you can help students focus on forms, uh, plural, in various ways to heighten awareness of inflectional endings. And she puts in parentheses Latin. So Ginny might be a Latin teacher. And she says, students find this very helpful. I'm sure they find it helpful. I, I mean, I'm a linguist. I like, I'm a formalist. I like looking at language forms and so on. And I bet Angelica does, and I think Walter probably finds it interesting too. Um, but there's a difference between whether people find it interesting and helpful and if it really actually is helpful. The fact that people think it's helpful, I mean, I, I was told, um, for example, if, you're going, if you have a medical condition, um, there's all kinds of wives' tales and, and rumors about don't do this, don't do that. And then you actually talk to your doctor and look, look you know, go to the Mayo Clinic site and look at things. You find out that all that wisdom goes out the window because it's just not true. Um, but people tell you it's helpful if you do this, it's helpful if you do that. Um, so the fact that people think something is helpful, I think is not really good evidence. So, but not, not to criticize Ginny on that, but that's something typical that we hear. 
Um, let's see. Um, a lot of people really focus on instruction being about providing input in a classroom. Um, and so, uh, let's see. Piri uh, Haraka said that. Um, Magista said that. Anazera said that. Uh, Richard said that. Just the, the list goes on and on of all these people who are talking about instruction being um, comprehensible input and the role of input in the classroom. Um, however, Profe Brian says the following. If by instruction you mean explicit teaching, then no, it does not speed up acquisition. If by providing meaningful messages and, and, and input, then yes. Um, so we'll come back to some of these comments a little bit later because there's, there's a number of them and I wanna go ahead and, and um, either take some uh, mixer questions or uh, see if there's anybody waiting on the phone. So. Angelica, do you got anybody on Mixler who's making a comment or would like to ask a question? Yes, I do have two questions, actually. Question number one. Good. But if um, but if someone, I can't, I can't even read. I'm so excited. I don't know. Let's try this again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. I know, right? So this whole thing about teaching grammar, what if someone, quote unquote, feels like it helps to teach grammar? What should you tell that person? Um. Are they talking about an instructor or a student? I think an instructor. Well, oh, maybe okay. a student too. Answer for both. I think, you know, this is all a part of edu uh, 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 about educating people and having having quick things to say to people. I mean, this is why I wrote a book like while we're on the topic. You can go in there and find things um, and highlight them and just have your two or three sentences ready to go and say, yeah, but the research shows X. Um, so, you know, if, if, and if you, in a, you know, but if you, and, and tell, I would tell a student the following, if you think it really helps you, there's all kinds of ways you can go online now. This is the beauty of the internet. You can go online now and find stuff that can explain things to you, quote unquote. Um, and that, you know, that you can bring me questions anytime, right? If, if your methodology using doesn't use explicit teaching in the classroom. Students can go on the internet and find this stuff and you can help them find it. And now that, that way they're in control of that part of their learning that should make them feel good. Um, for instructors, I just, you have to educate them. You just have to tell them, here's what the research says. And I like to have informed teaching. Um, teaching should be as informed as possible. Great. Um, so. Thank you. Did you have another question? You said you had two questions. Yes, I did. Question number two is um, when you were talking um, well, when you were talking about the topic um, with regard to what works, what doesn't work, um, one listener, Chris, he asked, so does that mean that reading to children would help speed up foreign language acquisition? Would reading to children help speed up foreign? Uh, I think I'm going to have a show call and get rid of the word foreign. Um, but that's another issue. <laughs> um, so the question is, would reading to children speed up language acquisition, a second language acquisition? Mm -hmm. Is that what the question is? I'm not sure yes. I understand where it's coming from. So, I mean, yeah. Well, when you were talking about literacy and elaborated input, I think that that was the point in time when... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I see. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, and we see this all the time. This is why even in first language acquisition, people like Head Start programs and they like pre-kindergarten programs. I like to just get the kids and people say, you know, sooner the reading, the better. Um, literacy is a very powerful thing for language and not just language itself, um, but um, writing 
and uh, discourse and things like that. The more people read, the better they write, and, and there's a correlation there. Um, and so, so literacy and, and reading really impact a wide variety. It impacts spelling. It impacts lots of things that hmm. that are yeah. not necessarily language related, but I could say language like related. <laughs> Because spelling is not language, but, you know, we do have written conventions. And so so reading helps that. Reading helps discourse, structure. It helps all kinds of things. So, yeah. Great. I would say, sure. Thank you. Oh, here you go. All right. Okay. Um, let's see. I'm looking at my Trello feed, and I'm not seeing anything coming in. So, Walter, why don't you check the email real quick and see if there's a question. I email. do have some questions. You do. Why did your picture go away on my screen, Walter? <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> well, apparently there were some cutting out, and so I was asked to remove my video from the screen. Ah. That's all right. <laughs> um, but here's a question from Steve. Steve asks, I have a question about the improvement of the speaking skill for language learners who have a relatively high listening skill. This seems to me to be the case with my mother-in-law, who is a Chinese speaker that immigrated to Canada over 30 years ago. Would language learners in this situation benefit from making a conscious effort on speaking accurately while communicating? If so, how could this be encouraged in a classroom without the instructor falling into the habit of correcting mistakes and talking about grammar? So there's the question from Steve. Um, I think there's an assumption in Steve's question, because what I'm hearing is, let me see if I got this right, Walter, so that would pushing people to speak accurately help them? Is that what the question is? Well, it seems like that. Um, that's what this, the first the first part of it says, I have a question about the improvement of the speaking skill for language learners who have an, a relatively high listening skill. And so it sounds to me like this might be a situation, for example, in like with heritage speakers of language as well. But then, yes, he does say, would language learners in this situation benefit from making a conscious effort on speaking accurately while communicating? So, yeah, I, I guess th there are two parts of that. Well, let me answer the second part first, because I think I understand that question better. So making a conscious effort to speak accurately assumes what? It assumes that the person has something with which to speak accurately. At a certain point, what we do when we speak in the second language is our acquired system just takes over. In the beginning phases, in a lot of instructional environments, if, if, if people aren't getting massive amounts of input at the beginning, uh, what people do is they rely on their learned explicit knowledge to try to create with language to communicate. In the meantime, their, their system, their acquired system builds up. And this is, I've mentioned this before on the air that one of the leaps from, I, this is my hypothesis, one of the leaps from intermediate to advanced level proficiency in the actual scale is the, the acquired system taking over for generating um, speech, right? So in the early phases, you're speaking from explicit knowledge, and then at some point you switch over and you speak from your acquired knowledge, um, which is fundamentally, again, fundamentally different from your explicit knowledge. So the, the problem is with that question is it assumes that the person has something to tap to speak more correctly. But if you're speaking from your acquired system, you may not have it. Mm -hmm. uh, and you may not have an explicit system to draw on either. It depends on, on how you learn languages. So um, I'm not quite sure asking people or somehow expecting them to speak or making a conscious effort 
um, does anything because it assumes that there's something conscious to do. Yeah, I think Steve might be making a distinction uh, here between because the, clearly the person has a high listening ability, but perhaps what he's what he's trying to see is how that how you can kind of take that listening ability and kind of yeah. take what they know in terms of listening ability and push it out in terms of spoken language. You can't. You know? Listening so. comprehension always uh, outstrips production. Um, just like reading tends to outstrip writing for a long time. So it's not until you get to the more more advanced levels of language um, that things start to converge where your speaking writing can start to look the same. I mean, we never quite speak like the way we write but you can speak with clauses and you can have connectors and do things in your um, that you that you couldn't do at the lower levels because you're functioning more at the sentence level or the word level or whatever. So, um, yeah, so I think in that, if, if that's the issue, then you just have to wait because speaking, I mean, uh, listening is always going to outstrip speaking or speaking is always going to lag behind listening. Um, it just does. That's just a fact. Okay. Um, I am actually going to take a phone call here and I'm being asked to turn off my video. So I'm going to say how I can do that, but I'm going to do, I'm going to do that after I take the call. So who do we have on the line? We have Keo on the line. Keo, are you there? Hi. Hey, Keo, where can, are you calling you from? Me? Oh, uh, I'm calling from second floor in Wealth Hall. <laughs> oh, that's right. You're in East Lansing now because Keo used to be in Japan, right? Yeah, I, I used to oh. uh, call call in from Tokyo. I remember that. Yeah. Well, welcome to East Lansing. Yeah. Uh, from this semester, I, uh, I joined the MATC program here. Oh well, good for you. Good for you. Uh, I understand you are calling about the um, SLA uh, challenge question. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Well, let me repeat the question for our audience, and then I'll give you a chance to answer it. Okay. All right, so here's the question. The issue of whether instruction makes a difference was examined empirically in 1983 by Mike Long in a foundational paper called, Does Second Language Instruction Make a Difference? What was the object of comparison in that study? Um, was it A, classroom versus non-classroom learners, or B, class le classroom learners that got instruction and classroom learners that did not get instruction? What's your answer, Kiyo? Uh, I think the first one is the answer. Classroom versus non-classroom learners? Uh, you are correct. Yay! Yes, you are correct. Ooh. Good for you. Yay, Yay Kyo. Yeah. All right. Kyo wins I a prize. Uh article, but uh, I quickly skimmed the paper. Well, there you go. Okay. Um, yeah. You can't, that's, that's, I always try to bring up foundational papers when I can. Um, and so that's an important one. That actually got the whole instructed SLA field going. I actually wrote, not a response to that paper, but uh, in 1988, I published a paper in language learning called um, How Juries Get Hung, Problems with the Evidence for a Focus on Form. And it was in partial response to um, Long but also partial response to some research that was coming out and, and things that I was seeing problematic in the research. So um, we'll, we'll put those up on our site uh, too so people can read that and see. There, there's a real problem comparing classroom and non-classroom learners. There's all kinds of intervening, intervening variables. So, Well, Keo, thanks for calling in. Um, your yeah. present will be given to you soon and your name is gonna go into the hat for a drawing for my book. So thank you very wow. much. Thank you very okay. much. Okay, talk to you soon. See you next week. Thanks for Bye -bye. calling, Keo. Bye-bye. Bye, Keo. Bye. Okay. 
All right, here we go. One question down. I'm going to go ahead and give the Diva Challenge question yeah. now. Walter's, Diva Challenge. Walter's wow. going to know this one, Angelica. Can you do that? That was intense. Can you do yeah. that again? Walter, do that again. The Diva Challenge. <laughs> oh, mercy. Maybe he doesn't know this one. I bet you Walter does know this one. Okay, here we go. I don't know any of them, Bill. It's just the reality. (laughs) Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Okay. So what singing diva and Academy Award winner was eliminated from American Idol in the third season? And what TV show can you see her on now? So it's a two-part question. Here we go. What singing diva and Academy Award winner was eliminated from American Idol in the third season? And what TV show can you see her on now? Call in with an answer and win a prize. And your name also goes in the hat for the book drawing. So, Walter, don't give the answer, Walter, but do you know the answer? Nope. I have no idea. <laughs> Sorry. Angelica does, right, Angelica? First part, yes. Oh, we don't know the second part? Okay. Well, I can Google would, the second part. If you, if, you, if you called in, if you called in, then you would get half a prize. How's that? Oh, now I know the second part. Thanks, Mixler. <laughs> on those mixler people better call in there we go better call in and get a prize all right any more questions for mixler or email before they we take another call i do have a question but if you if you have someone on the line we can certainly do that first no which... no, no, no no i'm just all I'm right. waiting there's some callers coming in but there you know how our phone system works as a delay so yep. email questions or mixler questions all right we have a question here from reed in hawaii hey reed in hawaii and um, he, well, he asked the question. He says, do different instructional practices generally cause different speeds and different outcomes during the acquisition process? So I'll ask that, because, but then I'll, I'll also read the a quote that he gives here. He says, uh, SLA researcher Vivian Cook writes, instructed language students at university level may not fully represent all L2 learners, learners, not only because they have been selected by the universities for their ability to profit from university-style language teaching, but also because in many countries, universities are the last refuge of the grammar translation method, unlike the worldwide presence for versions of communicative language teaching at the secondary school level. A person taught by an audiolingual method, say, may have been trained to think in quite different ways from someone who someone taught through task-based learning. It is not necessarily whether they have been taught the language that is at stake, but how. So there's the, I'll repeat the question now. It says, do different instructional practices generally cause different speeds and different outcomes during the acquisition process? There's Reed's question. Reed from Hawaii. Um, Yes, I think they do. Um, For example, if we're looking at acquisition, not learning, and not explicit learning, but the actual creation of mentor representation of language in your head. Um, Instructional practices that have copious amounts um, of comprehensible input, but also there's a quality issue there too, because you can't just throw language at learners. Um, There's scaffolding involving and all all that kind of stuff. So appropriately uh, scaffolded and, 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 structured, if you want to use that term, uh, classes with lots of comprehensible input are, are going to get people acquiring sooner than a grammar translation class, or I should say a, a traditional class where you practice and repeat. Um, it's going to look at the beginning. It may look at the beginning like the first semester, like the people who are in the traditional class are, are acquiring more because they can do some rote things more. 
Uh, but that's not acquisition. Again, like I said earlier, those early stages, what they're doing is they're applying conscious knowledge in very limited contexts. Um, but I guarantee you that not, not too long after that, the um, once some things kick in for the people who are immersed in comprehensive input, um, their their stuff is going to kick in and they'll out, they'll outpace the traditional people. Um, and then there's a whole range of things in between we could look at. So I think the answer to Reed's question is yes. Um, there are approaches that push acquisition along, pros, uh, approaches that hinder acquisition. Um, and it's the jury's out, I think, on whether supplementing um, comprehensive input with some kind of what's traditionally called focus on form, which is not grammar instruction per se, but some kind of um, heightened awareness. I think the jury's out on whether that speeds up anything. Um, I, I don't think it does, but again, that's that's I can't conclude that as a scientist. I have to say that my cursory reading is I'm not convinced it does. So, all right, uh, let me take another phone call here. Thank you for that question, Walter. And thank you, Reed from Hawaii, for that question. Uh, we got a call on the line. Tasha, are you? Is it Tasha or Tasha? Tasha. Tasha. Hey, Hello. Tasha. Where are you calling Hi. from? Santa Monica, California. Santa Monica, California. Wow, you're not calling from the boardwalk, are you? I wish. No, I'm calling from work. I'm at school. <laughs> I remember one of my favorite scenes is in um, on Santa Monica Pier was, I think it was in, um, uh, what's that Bette Midler, um, Danny DeVito movie, Ruthless People, where they're, they, all the climactic scene takes place on the pier and cars go in the water and something happens and I won't, if you haven't seen the movie, but anyway, so, all right. It's like that every Tasha. day at the pier, that, that happens. Yeah. Daily. There you go. Okay, <laughs> Tasha, you're calling about the diva question, right? I am. Okay, well, so let me nervous. repeat. That. Oh, <laughs> don't you're be nervous. Is that what you don't said? Be. <laughs> I don't, don't know why nervous. I'm so nervous. Okay. Oh, wow. But I'm ready. Just, just remember this. Even if you get the question wrong, you your name goes in the hat for a drawing. So that's that should be positive, right? Okay. Oh, absolutely. Yes. You could so, still be a winner today. There you go. Okay, so uh, let me repeat the question for our audience. What singing diva and Academy Award winner was eliminated from American Idol in the third season? And what TV show can you see her on now? It was okay, Jennifer so. Hudson. Yeah. Ooh, that's correct. And? She was robbed. And she's now yes. on The Voice. Yeah. She's a judge on The Voice. There you go. Oh, she got well it. Done. You got him both. Oh, Tasha. That's a two-part question. We should give her two prizes. See, what I were you nervous about? I don't Tasha, know. You guys make me nervous. <laughs> you just make me Gosh. nervous. I don't know. Yeah, Bill, you know, Bill I make has a, that effect. I make, I make a lot of people nervous. Yep. Just to see me on first dates. I'm always the nervous one. <laughs> when I'm on first dates. That's why I never have second dates because the other person gets so nervous. But, yeah. All right. <laughs> oh, my word. <laughs> Look, Tasha, thanks for calling in. And um, and we'll hope to see you again and see you again soon. Fingers crossed for the book. Okay. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Bye -bye. Thanks for calling Take care, in, Tasha. Tasha. Oh, that's sweet. I don't get how could I don't why do people think I make why do people say I make them nervous or actually said you guys. She was plural. That was I think you it guys referred to you exclusively though. <laughs> why? Why would people be nervous? On Mixler. I want people You're on Mixler right now. Dude. Dash, off, dash, off, dash off on Mixler right now, those of you who are on Mixler, or call in and tell me why I make people nervous. Because you're just too smart. See, we don't all know as much as you do. And so then you ask us questions and we feel really stupid. So there you go. <laughs> I have to tell you this. Are you speaking from personal experience, Walter? Oh, no, no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> oh, Walter. 
Okay, I have to tell you this quick anecdote um, related to that, and then we'll get back into our topic. Um, the I remember I took a job a couple of years back, like a decade ago, uh, and uh, I was hired um, because of my status and because of my you know expertise and all that kind of stuff and my renown in the field and so on. And I did not know this at the time, but I thought it was a, one of those unanimous things, the faculty really wanted me and so on. And then I moved into my office and um, uh, my next door office neighbor in the little alcove uh, where the office was, um, you know, struck up conversation with several times. And after a week of being there, she says to me, I just have to tell you something. And I said, what? She goes, you are the nicest prima donna anyone could ever meet. <laughs> I said, what? She goes, we were all so afraid we were bringing in a prima donna, but you're really kind of not. You're just, you're really nice and you're fun to talk to and you're very helpful. And she's going all, saying all these things to me. I thought, oh, there you go. So a lot of people are intimidated by your reputation, but they got to get to know you, right? Okay, we do have true. some responses from Mixler why people are afraid of you. Actually, okay, let me hear it. I can take it. I can take it. Actually, Tasha has said that um, because you're my idols, internet famous. I guess that does give people the jitters. Um, I like when Diane said, <laughs> because we're afraid you might sing at us, question mark, followed by a ha ha ha. <laughs> because we might sing at her? Is that mm -hmm. what she says? Yep. There does tend to be a fair amount of singing on the show. I would never, I could never be accused of that. So Right, you sang They must in be the talking show, about right? you, Angelica. No, I think you, didn't right. you sing in the show? <laughs> yeah, didn't you start it? I did. Mm -hmm. I, I do sing a fair amount, it's true. Let's but we, we won't ask anyone else to sing, though. I mean, we're happy no, to do it no, ourselves. No. Yeah. Did, did anybody else say anything on Mixler, <laughs> Angelica, before we well, there get is a back question, to our topic? If Tea with BVP, the musical, is coming soon. Um, <laughs> ooh. Ooh, I, I sh you I, should I, think about that is that what you're saying there you go there you go god who would play me hmm. i guess you'd have to play yourself <laughs> we should do a special musical could. episode like in scrubs i think that would be fun and people do confirm walter you sing the most so there take that aha but right. i i also i did have um a question here also from reed um, what about input-taught learners who learn this way from the beginning? God, that Reed is a busy little boy, isn't he? I know. Well, he has lots of questions. <laughs> I love Reed. I met, I met Reed at a conference. He's a really, really, really good guy. Well, and he's guy. taking all the options that are at his disposal. I like it. Next uh, time he needs to I call in. Okay, but here's a question. He has called. He has love called, Reed. though. You know, okay. we could give him some slack today. Okay, but go ahead. Fine. So mixerize me with Reed. Go ahead. What about input-taught learners who learn this way from the beginning? Is there explicit knowledge to eject when they go from intermediate to advanced? I actually don't understand the question, but... Well, oh, it's I, because I, I, Bill was saying, yeah, that when you go from intermediate to advanced, that that that's when you you learn to rely more on the on your internal mechanisms as opposed to on the ex, uh, on the explicit knowledge knowledge to eject i like no. it i i, I yeah because i don't forget that, that that those scales that the actual scales and so on are not predicated on the kind of people that learn i mean these scales were developed um based on the army method and traditional language teaching in the 40s 50s and 60s and then when actful developed the scales and produced them for academic environments they've been tested largely on learners who learn in traditional ways um, and so that's why I made that comment about 
the, the leap from intermediate to advanced, I think, is a click over when, when more of your, your acquired system takes over um, for language generation or production. So, um, so Reed's question is a good one. So what if you are uh, immersed in input from the get-go with very little exposure to traditional teaching and rules and practice and so on? Do you, does, is, that, is there that click over? Um, I, there, there shouldn't be because you, um, don't, you don't have anything to rely on. What will happen though is I think those initial state, because you gotta remember what the description of the proficient stages actually say, and then this is the, where the bias is in these, these uh, proficiency descriptions, particularly lower level. Um, they um, talk about um, learned, combining learned and memorized bits of language at the novice level, for example. That suggests to me that that's talking about a traditional classroom. But if you're in an input-oriented thing, input-oriented classroom, you're not combining memorized pieces of language. You're you're putting together stuff, you're pulling it out of your head. So it could still look a little bit similar at the beginning, working the words and phrases and things like that, but it'd be generated differently. And I think you'd be using more of your acquired system along the way, but you'd still have levels of proficiency. Um, that, that's a good question, Reed. I think Reed's, see, Reed's on top of things. I like that guy. So He's thinking. No, right. oh, everybody's thinking. We got good people out there in the audience listening and, and asking us questions. I like that. Okay, um, I don't know if we have time for, do we have time for another question before I do the book drawing? Eh, probably not, right? Oh, sure. I think I need to do a book drawing because we've got about Seven minutes. minutes yep. Seven minutes left. If we have a really quick question, I'm going to do the book drawing. Any, any, any fast questions on Mixler? Any fast questions on email, Walter? Walter, you got I something? I don't have any more questions. Nope, then we're Nothing. good. Then the book drawing nope. is. Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, we're going to do the book drawing. So who's in charge of the book drawing? I am. Who's Okay, so Luca, put all the names in a hat and give oh, them. Oh, I, I have them. Oh, it's it's ready. I already drew. We're we're ready. Oh, you you already drew. My God, you were just there waiting, weren't you? I I, I am. Yeah. What if we had another caller coming at the last minute? Oh, that person. You know what? That's me. if you snooze, you lose. Right. Too okay. late. Okay, Too late. Okay, <laughs> so who's our winner of the book this week? I, I picked blind. I, I I want to make sure that this is understood here. Um, it is Michelle from Alaska, by way of wow. East Lansing. Yay, Michelle. Great, 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 great. Congrats, Michelle. Um, yes. Yay, Michelle. Michelle. Yay. All right. Well, that was good. I like that. That was nice. She, she I mean, you know, it pays to fly all those thousands right. of miles to East Lansing. <laughs> Apparently. To visit, you get a book. <laughs> of course, the book is in California, right? So I guess it doesn't really yeah, help. Yeah, well, that will be mailed, so... <laughs> Um, which reminds me, and one of the reasons we've been focusing on my book is not because I just like to talk about myself. What? Um, no, of course yeah, not. Exactly. <laughs> is that. Um, <laughs> okay, sorry about that. <laughs> Walter just laughed in my ear so loud. Now I, I can't even hear myself. Now my ears are ringing. Um, one of the reasons we're doing the book stuff is because next week we're, doing the, we're starting our countdown to Actful. So starting next week, it'll be six weeks to act full. And so we're going to be fo focusing on, we're going to be, I'm hearing an echo in my head. This is really bizarre. Um, we're going to be focusing on a chapter of my book a week. So next week, the focus is going to be on communication uh, and the context of communication, how that, how, how that affects our classroom. So we'll send that topic out in our weekly newsletter on Monday to let everybody know. 
So with that said, we're going to be doing that and still giving books away all the way up until Apple. Then after that, no more books. Sorry, kids. It's done. It's over. Um, and you know why we're doing that, Angelica? Why we're doing it that way? Because what happens at Actful? Um, what happens at Actful? We're not there. I'm going to well, be Bill's there. there. Yeah, He's going to be signing show, books. Yeah, the show yes. is not there. I'm doing a book signing. Exactly. So, yeah. So that's why we're doing that. So it's a countdown to Actful, giving books away the last six weeks, um, doing a chapter a week, taking a topic out. Um, and promoting uh, promoting the book signing for people who are going to be there. So we want we want to see people. All right, is it time to do acknowledgments? I'm getting a I'm getting a signal from Luca that it's time to wrap up. I thought we had a few more minutes left. Oh, we got four what minutes. Are you sure we got four minutes left? Yeah. I'm confused. I think I'm we confused. got four minutes. I'm confused. Aren't we all confused? Are you confused? I'm confused. See how that works with input? My repetition. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to circle around now. Who's confused, Walter? Is Angelica confused or am I confused? Who's confused, Walter? Uh, You confused. Are you confused, Walter? You confused. Yes. No. Yes, I'm confused. But you're not confused, are you? You. I'm confused. You're right. I'm confused. Bill is the person who's confused. And apparently Walter lost the ability to speak English. There you go. (laughs) I was just, you know, being a student. Sorry. Hmm. I work with Walter. That happens on occasion. Mm, yeah. All right. Um, well, I'm going to, I guess I'll go ahead and start wrapping up because I'm getting the signal from Luca this time to wrap up. So I'm going to do that. So I'm going to do my acknowledgments. Are you ready for my acknowledgments? Here we go. Uh, we always begin by thanking our technical producer, Daniel Trago. Yay. Ooh. Big thumbs up. Um, our media producer, Luca Giappone, who's the one who signals me things on the screen here. Our talented and trusted call handler, and we like to call him our muscle man, Dustin DeFelice. And again, this year, as I've said before, we have not one, but two assistant production managers who are interning with us. The able-bodied duo, not Batman and Robin, but Chad Bosley and Ryan Stuck. And of course, we thank the College of Arts and Letters at Michigan State University, especially our Dean, Christopher Long. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed in this program do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors or any other official entity of Michigan State University. And they basically reflect me, right? Okay, there we go. And of course, we thank all of our listeners and especially those people who got to call in today and people who sent us Mixler questions and email questions. Thank you, thank you very much. All right, so next week, I will be back in the studio with Angelica Woo! and Walter. We'll begin that countdown to the annual ACFL convention. So tune in, we're gonna be talking about communication and how context affects communication in the classroom. So until the next show, have a great weekend and happy second language acquisition. See you soon. Bis Bye, everybody. Woche. Auf Wiederhören. It's nächste Woche. Auf Wiederhören. Yeah, yeah, very close. I like it. You're uh, getting the hang of this. Man, at one, point, at one point, you'll welcome be fluent in German. Good stuff. You should start teaching me Spanish and French, really. What is this? <laughs>